You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Before we get into that, um, I want to start with just three riddles today. Uh, I'm going to do three riddles just because some of you guys might know some of the riddles, so I want to make sure everybody somewhere is at least somewhat entertained. Um, as well as uh, I want to test you for your attention levels and whether or not you'll be able to stick with me through these three riddles. And then I'm actually going to give you the answer to the riddles by the end of the message. Uh, and uh, they're, they're good answers. They're not just those cheesy answers like they're like, dang, that was a good, good riddle. I just, the only riddles I know. All right, so the first riddle is this. You come to a path, and in the path there's a divergence of two other paths. And one leads to paradise and one leads to destruction. And before the two paths are two identical dwarves. And the dwarves are fun, and they are uh, uh, charismatic, and, and you'd like to talk to them all day, but they can't talk for too long, because um, you're only allowed to ask each of the dwarves one question. Two paths, two dwarves, one question to each. And the trick about this whole thing is that the dwarves are um, omniscient. They know everything. <laughs> they know the truth about everything. They know, um, they know the lie about everything. They know the truth. And the trick of the riddle is that although they know the truth, um, one of them is um, always telling the exact truth, and one of them is always telling an exact lie. What question would you use to tell the difference between paradise and destruction? Two paths, two dwarfs, all knowing the truth, but you can only ask one question. And uh, one of them always tells the exact truth, the other one tells the exact lie. All right, hold that thought. Uh, If you already know the answer to that one, here's another one. So uh, you're in a room, and the goal is to get out of this room in exactly 45 minutes. You can't get out at 46 or 44. you got to get out exactly 45 minutes, and you have no instrument to measure the time. All you have is two pieces of string. And the string burns for exactly one hour each. You have a lighter to burn it to. But the two strings, they both burn for 60 minutes apiece. But the trick is, is that they don't burn at consistent rate. So, for example, this string might burn this fast for 15 minutes, and the rest of the 30 minutes it burns slower. So you don't really know how fast. But the goal is you got to burn the strings to get out of there in exactly 40 minutes, but both of the strings burn for uh, 60 minutes apiece. All right, the last one comes from Batman, uh, and it's just a short one, kind of like a play on words. Don't shout it out if you know. What is uh, cruel, poetic, and blind... And if you deny it, violence you will find. Cruel, poetic, and blind, if you deny it, violence you will find. Hang on to those. So today, uh, we're going to open up with a lot of, uh, like a lot of uh, uh, passages in the Gospels open up with, which is uh, parables. Jesus taught in many parables, is what um, the Scriptures will say. And we got to remember when we start reading parables that parables are not fables. Parables are not the three little pigs all had three different materials and they built three different houses and then it all burned down with like clear construct of story and a clear moral at the end of it. Parables don't have clarity and they don't have morals all the time. Uh, They're not like, um, you know, the tortoise and the hare with two different characters. One runs fast and one runs slow. And so you walk away with, there's only one truth to walk away with from that parable or from that fable rather, is that slow and steady wins the race. Parables don't have that. They can be very confusing and they don't always give you a clear direction of what you're supposed to take away from it, if at all. Um, and parables are deeper than just don't cut the golden goose and egg and then you won't have any golden eggs kind of a thing. Actually, parables can be surprising, they can be puzzling, and they can be powerful. So, for example, when you're reading the parable of the shrewd servant, when you find out that the servant 
is uh, giving away his master's money, you think that the servant should be mad. I'd be mad if my servant started giving away my money for no reason. But instead, the, servant, uh, the master praises the shrewd servant for giving away his money. That's a weird construct. What kind of a parable, what kind of a fable is that? It has no moral to that story. I don't even, I'm not sure what it even means. Then there's ones that feel like you need to have seminary to understand them. Like I, I read a parable that I'd never even read like three years ago, and I thought I'd known all the parables. There's a parable, if you've ever heard of this before, there's a, 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 a man who comes out of his house with two different kinds of treasure, old treasure and new treasure. The end. <laughs> That's the parable, right? Where's the moral of the story? Where's the, where's the um, slow and steady wins the race? And then there's parables that are very powerful if you let them sink into you. Like they don't just change the way that you think. They, they speak to your heart. Like uh, the parable of the unmerciful servant gets forgiven of a lifetime worth of gold but can't forgive a pouch worth of silver and treats forgiveness and unforgiveness like choking someone's neck. Unforgiveness is choking somebody to try and get out of them what only God can give you back. And when you throw that person in prison, you actually realize you're the one who ends up in prison. Parables are way deeper than golden gooses. So fables are not the same thing as parables, for one major point, is that uh, parables are not written by Aesop. Parables are written by Jesus. <laughs> it's a very different author of writing the parable for a different purpose. Parables have a supernatural ability for you to stop and ask and live different. We are not good, we are not good listeners. We like to talk and we don't like to listen. And so Jesus gives us parables to stop us before we keep on going and to listen, to ask Jesus, what the answer of these parables are, and actually ask, ask ourselves. A lot of times, the blanks we fill in to the mysteries of the parables tell us more about ourselves than they do about God. And they have an interactive, confrontational dialogue that is more than just any given sermon. And ultimately, they, they put us to the point of decision. At the end of the day, we become responsible. There is an onus on us of what we are going to do with that parable. We can't passively just um, grin at the parable for being clever. We have to respond to the parable because it's speaking to us. So another way of talking about parables is parallels are not just teaching to us, they are speaking to us. That if we have ears to hear them, they're actually not talking about some old guy with a robe that ran up to Jesus one day. They're talking about me, about my heart, about my stubbornness. They're not just talking about someplace long ago by the Jordan. They're talking about my mom and my neighbor and my bank account. And they're not talking about some problem that happened a long time ago. They're talking about something that's, that's probably happening over and over again, not the least of these, is right now in this room. Parables are not just teaching, they're speaking. So we're going to open up probably the most important parable that Jesus ever taught because Jesus talks about this parable as the ultimate parable. In other words, the parable of the sower and the seed not only unlocks all the other parables, but unlocks the kingdom of God. All parables are, are really one subject, the kingdom of God. And, and all parables unlock the kingdom of God. But this is the uber-mega super parable because it unlocks all the other parables. This one doesn't just interpret parable or kingdoms. It interprets all the parables that un interpret kingdoms. The kingdom of God, rather. And so this is the parable, if you're just getting caught up and haven't been to Sunday school in a while, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who sows seeds indiscriminately. He, he, he sows them on the hard soil and the soft soil and the mixed soil and the thorny soil and the scorched soil and then the good soil. And... Once the, the harvest has come to bloom, some of the soils will not produce fruit, but one type of soil, the good soil, will produce lots of fruit. Seems pretty simple. The farmer sows the seed. I hope I'm a good soil. That's kind of at face value, I guess, what it's saying. 
But before he says any of that, he tells us a very important word that's going to be part of all the different parables that we need to pay attention to, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is to listen. A friend of mine brought up a, a great uh, phrase um, from, um, uh, from a rabbinical tradition that rabbis would often say to make sure to listen to what you see. That's the difference between us and antelopes, right? We can see things, and then we can perceive them. We can think. We can have cognitive rationalism, right? Which is part of listening with not only our head, but also our heart. We can stop and listen. And so he tells us to listen. And as we listen, we're going to start to see that Jesus is not only speaking parables, he's doing the parable. That as he backs up onto the shore and into this boat, and he begins to preach across the waves, that the waves are speaking a parable. That as he, he speaks it once, the people are confused and the disciples come to him and then he speaks it again and interprets the parable. He's showing us what parables are doing and how we should respond to them as we watch the entire passage and not just the words that are coming out of this parable. And also that he sees the crowd, we'll see the crowd shoot off in different directions just like the four different soils. The crowds are going to be doing what the soils are doing. In other words, Jesus is not Aesop. And he's not just teaching parables, he's speaking them. And he's not just speaking them, he's doing them even in this room to us if we have ears to hear it. So Mark chapter 4 says this. And Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowds that gathered around him were so large that he got into the boat and he sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them with many parables and in his teaching he said. And before we get into the parable, we want to pay attention to the classroom. One of the things that uh, at IU, the school that I went to to learn how to teach, it was the only book I really needed. They just tell you a bunch of philosophical things that third graders don't care about except for this one book called The First Day of School. Have you ever gotten this book before, First Day of School? It's the only book you need, man, classroom management. They don't care about your lecture. <laughs> they want to know where the games are, right? Classroom management is all the stuff that happens in the lesson before they ever hear you open your mouth. It's how the seating's set up, and it's how the lighting is, and is it, are they in pairs or in circles or in rows, and is it the teacher teaching from the stage, or is the teacher teaching from the floor, and do they use a high voice or low voice, and where's the pencil sharpener, and how do I go to the bathroom, and... You know, how many times can I take out my cell phone before you take it? Or whatever else may be, right? Classroom management is the beginning of the lesson. And if you've noticed, the lesson's, lesson's already begun before Jesus ever talks, is that he's, he's set a classroom. Look at this. The, the, the seed of the farmer, right? The farmer, the, the parable of the sower in the soil, is Jesus has crowds coming after him, but crowds are not disciples. And there's a difference between following and crowding Jesus. Following Jesus because it's Jesus, or following him because he has the stuff. And so he separates himself from the crowds, and he creates a challenge between them. Between the shore and the boat is a whole bunch of sea. Now, the Jews were not Phoenicians. They were Jewish, and so they were terrified of the sea. The sea is what drowned the, Israel, or drowned the Egyptians and saved the Israelites. The sea is the thing that drowned and flooded the earth and not Noah, right? The sea is this place of tumult and chaos, and there's monsters down there that Job talked about. I mean, the sea is pretty scary. And so now you are put up against, if you're a person standing on the shore, other than Jesus in the boat, a bunch of confrontational questions. I mean, the spiritual ones like, how come I don't get healed? And how come when I show up to get healed, my buddy got healed, but now Jesus is in the boat, I can't get to him. And who is that guy out on the waves, and how come I can barely hear him? And, 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 and does he really know me or care about me at all? And is he the source of my problem? And does he have a teaching of the, of the thing that I feel like I need? There, there's, this, there's this large sea of questions between you and Jesus. And so you have to start to ask yourself, like, do I have the confidence to swim out in front of all these people? Like, what happens if I swim out in front of this crowd? Will I look like a fool? And if I swim, will I make it? And if I make it, will Jesus rebuke me and send me back to the shore? Will he invite me into the boat? There's all of these questions that are left within the mystery of the sea between you and him. And so he starts speaking a parable 
with some words and seeds, really, that uh, if we have ears, we can hear. So he says in verse 3, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and he was scattering the seed, and as he was doing that, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. So all you type A people, you're not going to like this very much. Because he just invited you to classroom, and he put that worksheet down there, and he has a bunch of underlined gaps that your little type A pen is ready to fill in those gaps so quick. And he puts the gaps in there, and guess what he does? He doesn't fill them in. How many of you guys have ever been to a lecture before, and they put gaps on the worksheet, and they don't fill in the gaps? Does it drive you crazy? It drives you nuts. You did put the gaps down there. Don't leave these gaps. Point number one, Jesus says that some of us in the room have a hard heart, and there's something that has snatched the seed, but we don't know what that something is. That's pretty scary. A little buddy swam out in the ocean and he just disappeared from view. Where did he go? We don't know. That's scary. I don't have a gap there. I have no idea what's going on in that mystery. There's a hard heart. Something happened to it, but we don't know what it is. It's almost worse than knowing that you can have a hard heart. All right, blank number two, verse five. Some fell along rocky uh, paths where it didn't have much soil and it sprang up quickly because the, the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plant was scorched. Well, that's not good. I don't want to get scorched. I don't want to get eaten up by a bird or scorched by something, and then it withered away and had no root. So you know there's a shallow heart. You know there's a problem, but you don't know the solution, do you? The shallow heart equals blank. We don't know what scorched the plant. Maybe it was moving to Greenville. Maybe it was uh, bad parenting. Who knows what did all that? I don't know. Number seven, uh, verse seven. Other seeds fell along the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear any grain. So that's the crowded heart, but we don't know it choked it in the first place. Same thing, blank without an answer. In verse 8, so other seeds fell in the good soil. It came and grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30 and some 60 and some even 100 times. I mean, I want to be that soil. I wish you would tell me what makes me that. doesn't say. Fruitful heart, blank, grew the plant. And then he closes all up with this, just like he said at the beginning to listen. Verse 9, Jesus says, whoever has ears, let them hear. Whoever has ears to hear, Jesus says, let them hear. And then he goes away. This is the biggest, this is like him preaching at Easter. Biggest people come, biggest crowd at Easter comes at Easter, and he's like, hey, some of you guys are going to get eaten up by birds. Peace. Uh, good luck with that. And then he walks away. And there's all these gaps left on your worksheet. And so there's a, a crowd splitting, really, that happens. That some of the people, kind of like, you know, when I gave you that riddle, you're like, gosh, I hate these stupid riddles. What is this guy? Who, can I go to lunch yet? Like, what is this guy talking about? Why are we talking about riddles? I have a problem with my marriage. What does this have to do with anything in my life? I don't want to hear about dwarves. Some of you guys, that guy's an idiot, you know? Some of you guys were interested enough until your phone vibrated and you read a text message and it was in one ear, not the other, right? Some of you guys were like, ah, okay, next. Now, some of you guys were intrigued and you started to come up with your own answers, but then it frustrated you and so then you're kind of like the first guy and you're like, I'm kind of done with this. But then you heard that there was an answer to be had and you're like, I can't wait to tell this to my mom because they're always telling me riddles and I can't wait to tell my uh, mom this riddle and I'm going to be smarter than her or whatever, right? And you were invited by it. There were all four different responses by that same mystery by that same blank space. And so inside of that mystery, inside of that gap between you and Jesus, there was an opportunity to be frustrated or to practice faith. At the door of confusion, there's a pathway towards anger or towards asking. There's an opportunity there to be driven away from Jesus or come closer to him. And so as you're you're watching there, you realize that as Jesus is telling telling this parable, that the parable actually started before he opened his mouth, that he is a lot like that farmer sowing seeds across the confusion. He's throwing some of these seeds, and some of the seeds are making to the shore, and some of them are, are not. But he is like that farmer, and, the, and that water almost becomes like an um, amplifier, amphitheater. 
Like it goes across the water, and you can actually hear it in these strange, clairvoyant ways, even more so, like he's closer to you, even though he's moved further away. And that actually the word for shore is the same word that he just used in his parable. Shore is the same word as soil. So the actual parable that he's talking about, you're standing on. Either this guy's a fool, because he's not as good as Aesop. Like, I'd rather listen to Aesop's fables than this dude. Either he's a fool or he's God. So he's bringing up these questions to show you he has authority, even when he doesn't give you the answers. And he's inviting you because confusion can bring anger or can bring asking. One of the two. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a testing place. And so here's what we're understanding about parables. The parables are not just about teaching, they're about tilling. They till the soil. One of the most important words that you'll see in this passage is the word let them. Because let them is sovereignty language. Let them is what happened at the beginning of Genesis. If God lets there be light, there's going to be some light. But the them part is human language. That they have agency. They have a choice. And so there's a tension between sovereignty and free will. And since if you can't hear unless he lets you hear it. But if you hear it, you have a choice to hear or not to hear it. You see that? There's a partnership of the word being spread, but then the soil has a choice of what it's going to do with the seeds that have just been spread. And so here's the good news about this sermon, about this parable, is Jesus isn't preaching this parable to define soil. He's preaching the parable to change it. Because why else would he list four categories of soil if he just thought he was going to leave the soil the same way he found it? Why else would he preach about the soil unless he believed it could change? Unless he believed that somebody could listen to the words of this parable and realize I'm the hard soil and I don't want to be that way. And much beyond the expectations of the crowd, maybe the hard soil skips through second base and third base and goes right to good soil. Who knows? God could do that. He could till the soil. Maybe he's speaking to the shallow hearts even in this room. That you have a choice, you have agency and an opportunity in this. This is an invitation that if you feel that you are shallow, maybe that's a good place to be. Because it's only when you realize that you're shallow that you can cry out to the farmer who's sowing seed and you can be made rich in soil to grow fruit. You see, he's preaching to, the, to this crowd not because he wants to define the soils, but because he wants to change them. And he has the authority to do that as long as they don't get angry about it, but come ask him about his authority if they come near him. So this is how we know that the parable is working, not because they have all the answers, but because they come to ask him the answer. Verse 10, when he was alone, the 12, which are the disciples, different from the crowd, and look at this, and others. If it's just frozen chosen, then he's preaching that crowd to tell them what they can't change. But if he's preaching to the crowd because he believes that his preaching can cause grace and repentance to happen, then he knows that the 12 will bring others with him, that his preaching can actually make something true the moment after he said them that wasn't true the minute before he said it. So he's preached to this crowd, and, and, the, and the parable's not just being spoken, it's happening in front of us. So the 12 plus others come, and there's the difference between asking insiders and outsiders. It's not Bible knowledge or how many miracles have you seen or how many mission trips. It's simply faith. It's who do you believe that Jesus is, is what distinguishes between a crowd and an angry mob and an asker that's invited to intimacy. It's the asking is the difference. It's the faith that Jesus has the answer. So they come to him. And he says, you know, that sea, that ocean, that thing that you were so intimidated by, you know, the bills ahead of you and the, and the why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people, all that mystery was there on purpose. It's not to hurt you, but it's to invite you closer. To some, it will become a mystery in front of them, but to others, it will become a secret of the kingdom of God. Verse 11, he told them, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you as a gift, but those that are on the outside 
everything is, is said in parables. And so here's how we know that the, um, that the parable is working is because it, it splits the crowd. You know, this parable was like super hard for me and confusing because ultimately it's about preparing a sermon that doesn't have points. The sermon has questions, but it doesn't like have points. And so it was really interesting because the sermon wasn't just like getting prepared to me. It actually happened to me this week because I was so confused. I actually just started talking to Kyra about it. And that conversation, by asking about it further, took us to Revelation, which is the interpretation of end times. It took us to dreams and dream interpretations. It took us to classical conversations, which is homeschooling and how we think about things that we think about. And it took us to David about how sometimes preaching about a lamb can convict a, um, uh, it, can, it can convict a, um, the heart of a man who's cheating um, on his spouse. They can go past the head and into the heart. And so the point of the parable was not to give an answer, but to ask a question that invited me this week into intimacy. Some of the best intimate conversations that you will have in your faith walk with Jesus will happen after the sermon, will happen after the small group, will happen after you read the scripture. It's the questions of asking people even that are younger than you and older than you and further along and maybe even people outside of the faith even to see what they think about it, kind of a thing that allows us to really see the parable teach us, not just teach us, but speak to us. And so in all of this, one thing that we can take away as a point, not just the mystery and the questions, one point that we can put our feet on is that the key to all parables and all of the kingdom of God is simply this question, is Jesus king? If Jesus is not king, then this whole thing is a big lark and a confusing mystery that is just leading us in circles. But if Jesus is king, then all of the kingdom makes sense and all of the parables make sense. If Jesus is king, if Jesus is not king, the scriptures are boring. Then there's some old relic that we read in small group and they're confusing on purpose and they're just an, a stupid thing that some preacher tells me to read every week and I don't, really, don't want to let it, you know, read it and whatever and it just gathers dust. And, and, and all of that is based on this one proposition. If you don't believe he's king, then it's just a boring book on your nightstand. Right? The reason why we don't open it is not because we don't have enough discipline. We just don't believe it matters. That's the test. If it is the king speaking to us about the kingdom, then it's everything to me. And he doesn't need me to read the Bible to prove to him that he loves. He, 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 he's trying to teach me that I need to read the Bible. And testing me, if I get angry and frustrated at Malachi or whatever it is, the book that's confusing me, or if I go and find the people of God to dig out the treasures that fools can't get to. Or, or the church, you know. I read in uh, Colossians this week that the church is a hidden mystery. That right now there's a cloak over the church that the outside and the inside thinks that feeding the poor and loving strangers and caring for two-year-olds and forgiving your enemies and so forth, that that's all foolishness. But Colossians said it's actually a revelation that's hidden. There's a day when the cloak will be revealed and we will see that the, the church is not fools. They're reigning with Christ. Even today, when you love your neighbor and bring a cup of cold water, you are reigning with the eternal kingdom of God. And only the wise will be able to see it that act foolish in this age. But that all matters, whether or not you believe Jesus is a fool or a king. If he's a king, then the church is reigning. If he's not, then the church is fools. He's telling us this, this parable because ultimately he knows the crowd that's watching him are not going to be able to, to reconcile a suffering servant with a risen king. If they can't understand the parable, they won't understand the cross. It will make no sense. So he, he allows for that test to come to us to either confuse us or to bring us closer, all based on that one question, do you believe that Jesus is king? Your response to the parable will tell you everything you need to know about it. So here's the answer to the riddles, and I got it wrong in the first service, so you should be thankful that God led you to the second one. But I got it right this time. So here's the answer to the first riddle. The answer to the first riddle is you come along to the two doors, and the two doors, let's say, 
are hiding behind what you don't know is that paradise is this way and destruction is that way. But you don't know because both corners look the same. And so you ask both doors the same question. This is the question you want to ask the two doors. If this ever happens to you, it won't. But if it does, um, which door would your brother tell me to take? That's the question. Because if you asked the truth teller, the truth is that his brother would tell you to take the door towards destruction, right? Which, which door would the liar tell me to take? Go to destruction. If you ask the liar which one his truth-telling brother would tell you, well, the truth is the truth-telling brother would tell you to go this way, but because he's lying, he would say that his truth-telling brother would tell you to go that way. Think about it. It'll make sense at lunch. Which door would your brother tell me to take? That's the answer. Second question is, if you have two strings that burn at 60 minutes apiece at inconsistent times, you can burn the first string on both ends. If you burn the first string at both ends, it'll take you exactly 30 minutes, no matter how fast it is on either end, to burn all the way through. But if you were to take the second string and burn it on one end at the beginning of the time that you burn the first one at two ends, then after 30 minutes, we know that only 30 minutes has depleted off of this first string. So now you can take your handy-dandy lighter and burn the other side of that because we know that half of the remaining 30 minutes is going to be 15 minutes. So you had six, or 30 minutes plus 15 minutes, it's 45 minutes. And there you're out. Boom. Hey, I got it right this time. I'm so happy. It only took me two services. And last but not least, the answer to the Batman riddle, you know, what's cruel, poetic, and blind, and if denied, violence you'll find, is justice. The thing about when you go to the end of the math book and look at the odd numbers and find the answer to your question, once you see the answer, it's hard to unsee it. And you take for granted somebody giving you the answer and you go tell your son tonight or something like that, uh, the riddle, and it's almost, it's, it's your riddle. Go take it. It wasn't my riddle. It was given to me, so I give it to you for free. There you go, right? But when you see the answer, you sometimes forget the mystery and the question of what it's like to live on the other side of that, of that answer. And the next time you get to a mystery, you, know, you, you don't learn any of the lessons. And so ultimately, this parable is not just to give us a fish. It's to teach us how to fish. It's to understand not the secrets of kingdom, but also the secrets of all parables to understand the kingdom. And this is how he says, so he gives the answer key. This is the answer key, and it's going to almost feel like I knew the answer all along. It's like, we wouldn't have known the answer. Trust me. You know, we would have said, you know, it would have been... Um, Moving to Texas or something like that was the uh, scorched sun. Who knows? So verse 13 says, Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand these parables? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. I mean, that's the, who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Was it God or was it man? That's the perennial sovereignty question. Well, he says Satan did it. Satan hardens the heart. Now there's even more mystery on top of the answer, but there you go. Verse 16, others like seeds sown along rocky places hear the word and once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. They go to the Hillsong concert and they're hype about it, but then on Monday they wake up and they feel completely different. Why does that happen? Well, Jesus says, when trouble and persecution come, sometimes the kingdom of heaven feels like happiness and sometimes it feels like suffering. But both of those are the kingdom of heaven. If we only have a rubric for one of those, we'll think that the kingdom has left us when it hasn't. So when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The shallow heart becomes shallow because of persecution and trouble. Verse 18, still others, like the seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come and choke up the word. In other words, the problem of me not entering into the kingdom of heaven is not just around me, it's inside of me. It's the love of money. It's that I want to be popular and to be heard and known. 
And I can't serve two masters at the same time. And so when I choose to follow money, I turn my back on Jesus. It's one and the same thing. So the crowded heart is crowded because of idols. Others, like the seed grown among the soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop some 30 and 60 and some hundred times that was sown. So what does it mean to receive? Well, he already told us the command at the beginning and the bottom of the parable, the answer to the fourth gap is listening. What makes a fruitful heart? One who listens to the seed. Doesn't harden their heart to the seed. The one who listens to the seed and doesn't harden his heart, the one that asks instead of getting angry, is the one that receives the kingdom of God for free. And so we come to the end of this conclusion, not just with a fish, but how to fish. So there's two secrets that we can see from this. The secret of parables and the secret of the kingdom of heaven. So here's the secret of the parables. The secret of the parables is that parables are not for trying harder, but training with Jesus. There's a difference between trying by running through the wall and doing your darndest to follow Jesus better on Monday than you did on Sunday, running through that wall, or stopping and listening and training your heart to meditate on what Jesus is saying to you. Training and trying are not the same thing. Have you ever spoken to a kid before, and you try to teach that kid a lesson, and you open up your mouth to teach them the lesson, and the first thing out of their mouth is, I already know what you're going to say. How many of you guys are teachers or have kids, when you start talking to them, and they ask you a question, and they give you the answer, and as soon as you start giving them the answer, they're like, I already know that. And by the way that they act and the way that they talk, you know that they don't know that. Have you seen that before? How many of you guys have a spouse <laughs> where you say something to them, and they say, I already know that, but you know, based on what they did, they didn't know that. They did not listen to you. Happens all the time between me and Kyra. There you go. Because <laughs> listening is harder than it sounds. Right? So what is the trick? What is, what is the secret to the parables? All the parables, the rich young ruler, and the, I guess that's not a parable, the, the one about um, the two brothers, uh, you know, the, the prodigal son, and the, the claws, and the wineskin, and all those types of things. The secret of all parables, not the least of these is this, is to listen. Because what it's saying is the reason why your kid doesn't listen to you and why your spouse doesn't listen to you, and why oftentimes we don't listen to the Lord, is because the amplification around us isn't neutral. It's stacked against us. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil has come to stop you from the one thing that would cause the kingdom of heaven to enter into you. The world, the flesh, and the devil woke up today to stop you from listening. Why do most of the things that you say go unheard, and most people don't listen to you? And why are people quick to speak and slow to listen? is because the enemy has woke up today to try and keep you from doing the one thing that's going to help you to understand the kingdom of heaven, which is the listen. So if you go back in your journal and ask yourself, how did you get from the place you were five years ago to the place you are now? The answer is probably not trying harder. It's probably because of seeing something and hearing something different. Probably the distance between where you were and where you are is not trying harder, but training with Jesus. And actually listening to something, you, if you don't know what you don't know, you can't grow. But it's a beautiful spot to come to the edge of yourself when you actually stop talking and start listening, when you realize, I don't know what I don't know. And the distance between you then and you now is probably the point of the place where you say, you know what? I don't think I know the answer. It's not a bad thing to come to the blank in one of Jesus' sermons and not know what to fill it in with. Because that's an opportunity not for frustration, but for intimacy. And that's the place that if we can come to the parable, not thinking it's the three little pigs, and just teaching other people about what we think we already know and actually understand if I don't have the kingdom of heaven, then I probably need these parables. And not to run through them, but actually ask about them and, and learn from them. The secret of all parables is listening. The secret of all parables is listening. The secret of the kingdom of heaven is that the kingdom of heaven is actually not far where we can't reach it. It's actually here and we're missing it. 
So one of my favorite Bible teachers, the smartest guy that I can think of from YouTube is, is uh, Tim Mackey from uh, the Bible Project. And he was up at um, Bridgetown Church, and he was preaching about what he usually doesn't preach about. He usually preaches about the Bible, but today he was preaching on prayer. And he talked about this personal renewal that he's going through by this guy that told him to pray with his kids at night. He said, in my walk with Jesus, I know a lot about the Bible, but sometimes I feel like it gets stuck here and it doesn't come down here. He said, what you should do is don't fill the prayer time with talking. Fill it with emptiness. And he said, for the first couple of months, nothing happened. But then he started praying with his kids, and, and God actually answered prayers. Did you guys know this? You can pray things, and things will happen that wouldn't have happened a minute before you prayed them. That's the let them part of it. There is a partnership between God speaking and us responding. And faith matters. It absolutely matters, not just sovereignty. So he's praying, and he's noticing like the calluses on his heart moving. I mean, he knows everything about the Bible. And I believe he's filled with the Spirit, and it's not about less than the Spirit, or less than the Word. It's more than the Word. It's the Word with the Spirit. And so he shares this whole thing, and this is the code word, Huckleberry, about this hike that he's going on. And uh, this lady just pops up out of the bushes while he's on this hike. And he was like in this lucid state because he had been running. He was on this runner's high. And there's just like purple juice all over her mouth. And she just kept saying, the huckleberries are everywhere. The huckleberries are everywhere. This is, this is, what, I think, this is what I think is going on for us as people that are not just learning but listening. Is that he's saying that we're not in a seed drought. We're in a seed feast. Like there's seeds everywhere. The farmer's indiscriminate of the seeds. He, he's preaching to the seeds because he knows that any soil that he, he, hears the seed can be changed at any minute. And so the, so, the, so the seeds are actually everywhere. And so the great tragedy and irony of life down here on earth is that you and I, if we have the wrong eyes and ears on when we wake up in the morning, can be starving in the middle of Sam's Club. We can be in the middle of a field of the kingdom of heaven reaching out, thinking that the kingdom of heaven is somewhere else and someplace else, if only I could be somebody else, without realizing that the kingdom of heaven is not far off and there, but it's right now and it's right here. If only we'd have the eyes, if only we'd have the eyes to see it. That ultimately the kingdom of heaven is not a place where there's walls been built to keep me out. It's actually, it's actually a place where I've built walls that won't let him in. That I am in suffering in the middle of Sam's. I'm starving for the kingdom of heaven when it's right around me. If only I would learn to stop and to listen and to repent, the huckleberries are everywhere. And so these moments of, of prayer, you know, Paul says it's 14 years ago, so I'm not saying that everything is a walk in the clouds. And, and trust me, we are not in heaven right now. But everywhere a seed is sown, he says that the kingdom of heaven is anyone that hears and repents the good news. Every time a word is spoken, we have an opportunity, if we, if we realize that we're probably one of the first three soils, to actually see the soil change, to realize what I don't know, find out what I didn't know, know what I didn't know, and then grow, that the kingdom of heaven is right here and right now, if only we would learn to trust Jesus. So here's the good news of the gospel. There's actually only two kinds of soil, ultimately. There's not four kinds of soil. There's good soil that's producing crops and soil that he can change. The most important thing you can hear about this is not, oh, my neighbor must be that hard soil down the street. I guess I know how to deal with them now. No, the recognition is, actually, if I have ears open, I can actually take the, the least path, the less traveled path, and recognize if my heart is hard and I actually recognize it, a miracle's just happened. And I have the opportunity to open my eyes and get into that freezer at Sam's Club or whatever your deal is 
and feast for the righteousness, peace, and joy that I desire. It's not about the boss. It's not about the spouse. It's not about the hero of the faith that you're trying to be like. It's the kingdom of heaven that can happen to anybody that would just ask it. That you, can, you, are, you are no more prepared to reach the kingdom of heaven at the end of your week than you are right now if you would just turn and ask Jesus. That Satan has come to conspire against his children, to snatch up seeds before they ever germinate in our heart. And God can change that. That this week, it was harder than you thought it was going to be. And because you, you were hard, it was harder than you thought it would be, you mistook your circumstance for the character of God. And you built the very wall that you thought God built against you. But this parable has come not just to speak to you, but to do something in you today. And there's huckleberries everywhere. There's an opportunity to receive the righteousness, peace, and joy that you are fighting for and trying to get somebody else to give you and pay for and punish yourself. You can just receive it if you just ask him. Lord, I don't know what I don't know. Show me what I need to know is the beginning of the kingdom of heaven. That there's idols in my heart. The reason why that he feels out of touch and out of reach and cold to me at some points in my life, Jesus says, at some points it's not the devil and it's not the persecution and the trials around me. It's because I love stuff. And I love brunches with my friends, you know? And I love going on my dream vacation and doing the adventure that I want and living the life that I want. It's not because the kingdom of heaven isn't available. It's just that I don't want it. And I want other things. And so the good news is there's only two types of soil in this room. There's good soil and the soil that is about to change. If only we would listen. Mark 1.15. This is what he said from the very beginning. The time has come. The kingdom of God is not far, but it's near. The time is not later, it's now. And the kingdom of God is not far, it's near. We are in a Sam's Club, an abundance harvest of righteousness, peace, and joy, all the things that our soul would desire in Christ Jesus, if only we would repent and believe the good news. If only we would realize that we are a soil that we don't want to be at, how, how, how powerful, how wonderful as any moment in our life and our journey that we recognize we are not the soil we want to be because now we're at the place where we can just ask him to change us. So here's the questions I want you to consider in your prayer closet. And uh, I want to pray over the room even today before we go, but also in the small group and continue on the conversation as we ask and seek and knock. But just as Jesus would do due diligence, and the, actually the, I should say the developer is going to do due diligence on the soil of our property, in building up the church. So it is, he's doing that testing within our heart today of the soil of our heart. And he would, he would, he would till it and train it. He would test that soil because he wants fruit to come out of it. If only we would come to him. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.